Welcome to Emerging Franchise Brands, the podcast that introduces you to the visionary founders of America's fastest growing franchise opportunities. We'll also hear from industry pros as they share insights on what it really takes to achieve the elusive milestone of 100 plus locations. I am your host, Frank Fumi, founder of i9 Sports, and my 20-year journey from inception to acquisition has given me a unique perspective on how to succeed in franchising. Join me as we welcome today's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Emerging Franchise Brands podcast. On today's show, we have an in-studio guest. We have Greg Price from Advanced Laser Restoration. Greg, how are you? Doing good. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Welcome to Tampa. It's nice. I like it. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. Well, um, it's great to have you on the show. Advanced Laser Restoration. Can you share with us what exactly is the business? So crazy. It's uh, so disruptive. Uh, Most people, when you mention laser cleaning, they Mm -hmm. think hair removal, tattoo removal, something in the medical field. And we're using lasers to remove pretty much everything from mold to paint to rust, biofilms, oil grease. It's just pretty much unlimited. It's easier actually to tell you what we can't do than what we can do. So obviously you're a franchise. Now you founded the company and franchised in 2022. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Very, very new to franchising. Right. Uh, Not new to business though, but uh, yeah, the franchising world's pretty exciting. It sure is. So you've got six open, but nearly 60 in development already in a short time. So you're obviously catching a lot of attention, but before we go into all the numbers and franchising, how did you even get here? What what made you get into laser restoration and laser cleaning? So laser cleaning specifically, I was involved in uh, manufacturing of laser safety enclosures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look around and you see people utilizing class four lasers without the correct safety gear. Um, and so when I really looked at it and what they're doing on a small scale, if you could make that big and go industrial with it, it was pretty much limitless what you could do, but cost of... Uh, entry into that market was prohibitive. So manufacturing is one of my strong suits uh, Mm -hmm. through my other businesses. And therefore I use that, you know, prowess that I had there and was able to bring the cost down and make it affordable for people to get into. So tell, tell me what your background was that even led you to this. So from a young age, this is going to be a long story. Let's go for it, man. Okay. So from a young age, I was, I grew up poor, not a bad thing though. You know, it, it makes you uh, industrious. Mm-hmm. So I grew up poor, was in Hawaii, started selling strawberry plants to make some money on the side because they weren't regularly available in the supermarket or at the, mm-hmm. at the grocery store. And so I was making some good money doing that. How old were you then? At that time I was 10. Okay. Um, <laughs> nice. So very young. Um, I like it. And then I got into repairing old Nintendos. Remember, you used to blow yeah. into the, the yeah. game to get it to <laughs> of start. Of course, the Atari cartridge back in the yes. 70s, man. There you go. So <laughs> I started fixing those mm-hmm. and reselling them to right. make money. And I wanted a go-kart. So I saved up the money, got a go-kart. And, and then from there, we ended up moving to Florida when I was 16. Okay. At that time, still not, I mean, I was still relatively poor. Mm-hmm. Um, did some odd things, ended up getting my tile and marble license, uh, just almost 17 years old. 
which was the youngest person at the time in Charlotte County to have done that. Wow. And that was a game changer for me because I had a lot of work ethic. You know, Mm -hmm. there was no amount of hours I wasn't willing to work. Mm. And so I ended up making really good money doing tile work. Uh, My younger brother came to work for me. And then, uh, you know, we grew that business. I did get water in my knee. Doctor said, you got to get off your knees doing that. So we ended up getting kind of transitioning into carpentry. Okay. And found a real passion there. Like, I mean, it was like all I could think about making furniture, building cabinets. And my brother actually still runs a version of that company today down in uh, Naples, Fort Myers area. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up moving up to Chicago, doing carpentry, opened a kitchen and bath showroom. Okay. And that business was uh, my first, I guess, jumping into like the business world and the operations of everything mm-hmm. uh, at 24 years old and real competition, real competition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chicago is pretty fierce. Um, a lot of money there, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm going up against people that have been around for a while, but I found my way and, you know, I ended up building that business. In fact, I, I opened, didn't have a sale for four months and thought I'm doomed. Like literally every penny I, I made that I put into this, it's all going to be gone. What did your family think about you going into the business? They thought I was absolutely crazy. <laughs> like I remember my parents walking in and saying, this is a huge mistake. Did you come from an entrepreneurial family? Not, no, not really. No, I was the only risk taker in my family. Everybody else is pretty conservative. Right. Um, ended up closing out that year at 975000 in sales, which Wait a was minute. unbelievable. Hold on. Yeah. You went, you didn't make a sale for four months. You end up with almost a million dollars in yeah. revenue. All right. I, what, what happened? So you know what I did is I changed my approach. So every kitchen and bath salesperson was talking about, you know, the amazing finish or, well, everybody's finishes looked pretty much the same. Right. So I focused on what I was good at. Uh-huh. Hey, we're going to make your cabinets in 16th inch increments, height, width, and depth, fully custom for you. Mm. And people are like, oh, because no one else was talking about that. They were just thinking it was just going to be a standard cabinet. And so they, you know, they liked it and I just started getting in my groove and I started selling and selling and selling to the point where I ended up selling that company out to Crawford Supply Group, which I think at the time had like 20 locations. Okay. Um, But while I was in that business, you know, the recession hit Mm -hmm. uh, in 08, I opened that in 05 and I was actually able to maintain profitability through that horrible time. But I, I saw something that was starting to become really popular within the LED lighting world. And I was like, man, I have an opportunity here to, to kind of have a go at it. So I started selling lighting through my showroom. Mm-hmm. It was super expensive back then. And then decided, you know, I'm going to try my hand at manufacturing it. And ended up developing the first wireless control system for LED lighting. Okay. Um, that eventually transformed into uh, the Quattro controller which was like a wireless controller for your wall where you didn't have to run wires in the wall. Mm -hmm. And then the number one complaint that I had from customers was the color of the LEDs. Too 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 blue? Yeah, too blue, too yellow, too green. It was Mm -hmm. always too something that it wasn't, you know, I didn't ever have the right thing is what it felt like. Too warm, too cold. Yeah, correct. Right. So I was like, why aren't we able to tune the lights to the correct color temperature? Okay. And the big problem with that was the the technology that existed was called uh, warm to dim. So if you took from cool white to warm white, Mm -hmm. then it looked like you were dimming the lights at the same time. So people were upset with that. So I went to work and ended up patenting two-wire tunable white lighting. It was called Tandem LED. 
Uh, it's now under the task lighting umbrella. I ended up selling that company to to Harder Resources, which is now part of Prime Source. And it was pretty incredible to be able to to create a solution where people could literally pick the color in real time in their project right. and set it and forget it, or you could make it change with your circadian rhythm so it could change throughout the day. So it was it was a very fun ride. And I, I could do a whole episode with you on just... Not, not manufacturing, but how you take an idea that requires manufacturing and sourcing it. Like, where do you even start? Like, you've got this idea for the lighting sure. situation. It, where, where do you go from this just a brilliant idea to what's step one? So I started sourcing out of Asia, mm-hmm. uh, China specifically. And that was a tough one because you had, you had what was called Soho's. So it was like a self-operator home office. So imagine you, like I came and worked for you, and then I steal your branding. Mm-hmm. And I go home, and I pretend to be somebody I'm not, and I'm trying to sell. And you can keep that up for a while. Then when you get the order big enough, you get the people's money, and you disappear. Uh, and that's what happened to me. I had uh, a, a Soho I got uh, hooked up with. I was getting lighting coming in. And then when my order got really big and I sent the money, it, the product never came. And so at that point, I was like, that's where I knew I had to make a change. So I ended up flying there. I have a China office mm-hmm. and set up the manufacturing with nine factories, signing contracts. And we grew that business very rapidly with ultra high quality product. I mean, the iPhone comes out of China, right? So mm-hmm. people always, right. the common misconception is it's made in China. It must be junk or cheap. Mm-hmm. But that's honestly is what Americans have driven it to be everybody wants it cheaper 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 well Mm -hmm. how do you get it cheaper you use lower quality components right you know so i didn't take the cheap route i said you know what i'll just reduce my margin a little bit Mm -hmm. have a high quality product and then my lighting sold itself at that point wow and what year is this about so that was from 2009 um and then i exited the company in 2018 okay uh worked with them for three years kind of like as a consultant and then ended up selling them my last patent in 2020. But if we go back in time, you had the guts to first of all open this kitchen and bath business in 05, which was in itself gutsy move. Then you survive mm-hmm. a recession. Like nobody survived the kitchen and bath business, nobody. any home remodeling and stuff. Yep. You were telling me earlier though, what was the key to your survival? So number one, you have to just be tenacious, but... When, you, when I looked around, all of these showrooms were huge, mm-hmm. 10,000 square feet, 15,000 square feet. They had 20 designers, just a bunch of people when you walked in doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I kept it small. I had a 3,000 square foot showroom. I had two designers. And then I had specific installers that worked for me when I was in the carpentry business there. So we were a, a very small compact, very efficient unit. Mm-hmm. And so when everybody else had these $30,000, dollars $50,000 a month overhead just for rent, you know, I'm at $1,700 a month, mm-hmm. I think was at my most expensive monthly rent payment. Um, there was no, I mean, I just, there was no way I could fail. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an option, number one. So keeping it simple was really the key there. Right. Well, you, you, um, you followed the philosophy that we recently heard in a past interview about what Fred DeLuca, the founder of Subway, told these young franchise or founders and said, number one rule in franchising, don't run out of money. And you set up your company that you didn't know the recession was going to happen no. in, in 05. 
but you weren't sucked into. Because if you think about what the housing market was in 05, it was explosive. You could have easily yep. built, you know, just kept expanding and making the showroom bigger. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that honestly, that thought had crossed my mind because several businesses on each side of me came and went. Mm. I mean, there was a rebath at one time next to me was gone. A salon next to me was gone. And I could have easily taken those spaces and expanded. Mm-hmm. But I, there was really no reason to. Right. The reason why I'm going back to your past and talking about the previous businesses, I, I have a method to my madness. And that is, I know that there's other emerging franchise or founders that are watching this and there's people interested in maybe investing in a franchise and i really want i want the folks that are listening to this to get into the mind of greg price to understand like who you are as an entrepreneur (laughs) (laughs) well i want them to know like who you are as not just a founder not just an entrepreneur but as a person like what makes you tick and what makes you why you made the decisions you made because they were all very at the time, you didn't have any insight on, you know, where the economy was going. You were gutsy, but you made a lot of smart, calculated moves. You brought in other people. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the common themes I've, I've learned from you quickly is that in every business you've done, you've, you've made a concerted effort to where can I outsource? Where can I bring in the right people? Because you can't do it all yourself. No, you can't. And, and it can get really expensive to bring in like specialists, like let's say a marketing person that you know, is demanding a higher, a higher price point or, Mm -hmm. you know, a CFO. So if you can outsource some of those things in today's day and age has made it so easy. There's so many founders of other companies that can support your company for way less than you could ever hire just one person for. Right. Right. So that's been a huge part of, of advanced laser restorations growth is, is doing just that. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's, that's true. Um, so you get out of led lighting in 2020. Yep. What goes on between 2020 and 2022? Obviously, COVID hits. Yep, COVID hits. So actually, I had another idea that I was trying to bring to market Uh um, that I don't actually really talk about all that much, but I developed an all-aluminum cabinet that looks like a regular cabinet in your house. And the reasoning behind that was in the kitchen and bath world, I dealt with a lot of fire damage and a lot of water damage. Mm -hmm. And then all these wood cabinets that were being tore out of these hundreds and hundreds of jobs I did were going straight into a landfill. And so I developed this all aluminum cabinet installs looks like just like a regular wood cabinet. But at the end of its life, it's recyclable. If it gets in a flood, you just rinse it off because it's, you know, aluminum powder coated. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if there's a fire, it's non-combustible. So it could reduce kitchen fires. That was the, the, the concept behind it. And then COVID hit. And aluminum prices went through the roof. Oh, material yeah. supply and demand. It was it was never going to work. And so I was already manufacturing these laser safety enclosures. So this was like a natural pivot where I just saw an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the only way to truly scale it was through franchising to put it in the hands and empower people to be their own boss, own mm-hmm. their own business that's highly profitable. And so I dived in. And. This is a loaded question, but what did you know about franchising? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I mean, I took a crash course in 90 days, Don't we all, dude? Don't we all? So, but, but I did, uh, fortunately, I came across some good people. FMS, which is Franchise Management Systems. Mm-hmm. I came in contact with uh, Anthony there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he's been in my corner from day one. You know, he saw the opportunity. In fact, he's like, this is a unicorn. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time, you know, because I'm just thinking it's 
just a cleaning business. Just a and, laser you know, cleaning business is all it is. And then it just grew from there. Right. And, and then it was, yeah, it was pretty incredible. But they gave me some good advice that helped me avoid some pitfalls and yeah. early on, which was really helpful. It's really, really so critical to align yourself with the right people to be mentors when you start out in franchising. But when you start out and you don't know anybody, you don't know who is really good from who's just, you know, a snake oil salesman trying to take your money and saying, Oh, I'm a consultant. And yep. this is what I do. It's really hard to pick. And scary too, because you, do, you never know if somebody truly is, is working to your benefit. Yes. And, and these, the guys at FMS, so Anthony and Paul are the two guys I work with every single day. Mm -hmm. And I know a thousand percent they have my back there. They've brought up things to my attention. Be like, Hey, you know, my, you might want to try this, or you might not want to do that or say this. And they're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And so to take that, you know, in from their years and years of experience where I'm just a newbie here. Right. Um, has been like, priceless and was your was your fran first franchise industry related conference springboard it was so that was you know a few months back yep um what was your big takeaway at springboard oh my gosh um there were a couple actually so i think first and foremost the thing that probably struck me the most was how many franchise brands there are mm -hmm. and how many are actually pretty similar you know, you have a lot of like food based or service based and the, the model's very similar. Right. And I kind of felt like, well, ours is different. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure how to navigate that part of it. But then the people there were fantastic. No, even though there's a lot of competition. Right. Nobody acted that way, at least there. Maybe, they don't. You it, know, it, it was just very family oriented. Like, that's the truth. There is, there is so much integrity throughout the industry. You know, in every, every industry, right? You have good and bad, right? Sure. But that was one of my biggest things I was surprised about when I started. I went to my first IFA in 2003, and I was just so surprised on how, again, I've said this many times, on how generous the community is. Yeah. But until you're sitting there at a table and you see two direct competitors actually talking about, like, franchise development, like how they position their model or what they've been doing to sell more franchises, it's incredible and we think franchising as just a consumer we think of maybe a couple of dozen brands we don't realize there's four thousand franchisors until we're actually in the industry mm -hmm. right yep and let's face it there's a lot of franchisors that don't make it yeah i know well and one of the things that happened there was um i can't remember who was doing the the panel part but mm -hmm. they asked for a show of hands in the audience of how many franchisors uh had started franchising mm -hmm. at 10 units. I had 10 corporate owned units and then they started franchising. So all the hands went up mm -hmm. and then I said, okay, you had three units and the, it kept going down. Yes. And then it says, how many of you franchised with zero corporate owned units? And my hand is the only hand still up. And I remember one of the I guys was in that room. I think I saw your hand it, go up. Did you? <laughs> I was in the room. Yes. And the guy up on the stage goes, he must be one good salesman. Uh, <laughs> and you are. And I was like, <laughs> you know, and it, I never realized that there were corporate owned units in yeah. most cases, and then you franchised it. Mm -hmm. So that was news to me at, in that. Setting. Your business model is also very unique that in your model, you could get away with it. Yes, you can. Because yeah. there's so many industries that niches that it fits into. Right. Which is a little, um, you know, right now it's still obviously new, but that's mm -hmm. one of the things that we're finding is very disruptive, mm -hmm. you know, because you have in franchising, you have like, Hood cleaning and you have mold remediation and you have just regular cleaning services. And then outside of that, you have all these other industries that do like powder coating with 
sandblasting and hydroblasting and dry ice blasting. Mm -hmm. And you look and you see like laser cleaning is like this one nucleus and branching off of it are all of these opportunities that are individual businesses today right. that all roll into this one business. Yes. And so it gives the franchisees a high level of opportunity, which gives them a high level of, of success. Right. Well, Greg, I want to, I want to challenge you as someone might be listening about buying a franchise. Sure. We, you know, we know this, we have this old, uh, you know, it's the old cliche of when we focus on everything, we end up focusing on nothing. Yep. And in doing some research about your concept, there are so many different industries where this is a needed service. What do I do as a franchisee when there's too many industries? Where do I, where do I start? So that's a great question. And one of the things, so I guess first we look at the individual franchisee. Okay. So you may have a franchisee who has a lot of automotive experience and contacts within maybe their territory. Mm -hmm. So that makes just a natural common sense. Hey, that's a good industry for you to start utilizing the contacts you already have. But that may not be the most profitable side of the business to focus on. So what we, what we look at, like for example, Florida, mold remediation there, huge. Mm -hmm. In Arizona, Mold remediation is not so big. Right. You know, I mean, that's going to be more of, of a smaller industry market. But restaurant cleaning is everywhere. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, we, we have a video we just released about this where you have roughly 60 to 300 gallons of water to clean a commercial kitchen. And then you have the, all the plastic used to mask it off, all the chemicals that are used to, to degrease and remove all of that. And then all that stuff gets funneled into these big barrels and then dumped down the drain. And I'm like, man, what a mess. Mm -hmm. And laser cleaning uses no plastic. It uses, you know, no chemicals, no water. There's no byproduct from it. No, nothing that gets on the floor. It's not ruining all the appliances. You know, so we ended up uh, actually on Facebook Marketplace, we ended up meeting a, a, a ProServe company. The uh, restaurant, uh, mold remediation, right? Uh, yeah. And he was selling an appliance that came out of a, uh, a Chipotle grill. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I learned that this thing is six years old. It looked like it was 30 years old. Oh, when I got there, Chipotle I was like... Chipotle probably has 30 years worth of work in six years. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, they're cranking food out of there. Right. And when when I was explaining to him, like, hey, you know, we're going to laser clean this thing. He was like, what's laser cleaning? Mm -hmm. And that ended up, like, leading into this conversation where, you know, now, you know, they're very interested in, you know, the franchising opportunity, but more, more so being able to get us into some of these other facilities, because you can take an appliance, laser clean it from day one that it goes in. And when it comes out, it's going to look really, really close to new because you're not using and, and adding all these chemicals to it, which is what eats the stainless steel away. And then you're doing it in a faster period of time for less money. And it's all profit. There's mm. no chemicals to buy. There's no masking materials to buy. You go in, you clean it with light. So, you know, that's the, the profit margin of this business is probably the most compelling part of it. Mm -hmm. And I know for purposes of staying legal here for our franchise discussion, we, we can't get into the specifics on how much money you make per. Yeah. And, the, and every yeah. territory is different. You do an item yep. 19? Yes. In your, your, yep. your FDD? Yeah, we have item 19. So okay. franchise, potential franchisees, when they get that document, they get to be able to look at that and see the potential for their space. Sure. Um, one of the new things that we're, we're going to be implementing the first quarter of this next year is, is in our mapping software is the ability to look at all of the opportunities that are out there. So each franchisee, and we can continue to add data to that. Sure. Uh, to that territory. How big is the territory? So territories average no less than 250,000 in population. Okay. And then we strategically work them to have multiple industry 
you know, based on the state, of course, like mm-hmm. Florida is going to be different than, than Arizona, for example, mm-hmm. um, where they have a good mix of business opportunities. So 250,000 is a lot. Um, it is a lot. Yeah. You know, and in fact, maybe it's too much. I don't know. You know, because we all do that, by the way, first time franchise or sure. we want to give them as much runway as possible. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it, like our, I know one of our uh, franchisees, they have like a five mile radius they work in. Mm hmm. Uh, right now currently because they have enough business to sustain you know just that short little area so as they grow i mean they're not even hitting the borders of their territory so that's always nice is the franchisee expected to be operating it or are they hiring what tell me like what kind of way the model works yeah so that's i mean we're still learning i think that part of it because we have both right so we have some owner operators Mm -hmm. and then we have some owner who hires technicians Mm -hmm. so both models work Obviously, you're going to grow faster if you can run it instead mm-hmm. of work it. So that ultimately is the ultimate goal for every single franchisee, even if they're an owner-operator coming in, is, okay, let's get you familiar with the system, and then let's transition you out of it into hiring a technician mm-hmm. because you know they can earn a good wage, so it's going to be easier to find somebody. But then on top of that, you can now focus on expanding out in, in your territory and then perhaps multiple territories at some point. Well, my initial franchise gets me one van. Yeah, one van or trailer. Right. So we, we added the trailer this year. And one machine, one laser, right? Uh, one machine to start with the trailer, two machines with the van. Okay. So thought process there is a van can seat two people, so you mm-hmm. can have two technicians out. Oh, going at the same time. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And okay. then the trailers, the trailer model with the one laser and then the trailers, obviously less cost than the van, mm-hmm. is just to reduce the cost of getting into the business right? Um, over, you know, the expense of adding a van. So it really comes down to the limitation of how much as a franchisee I'm going to invest in getting more vans and getting more machines because I can only be at one place at a time. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So then, you know, part of our ongoing training and support is to help these franchisees train their new technicians. So they would come to our facility for training. Okay. In North Carolina? In North Carolina, yeah. Okay. And then we would certify them as laser safety operators, and and then they'll be able to go out and operate the equipment without it being a burden for the franchisee to try to remember and teach them and then end up forgetting something. Sure. So, What does training look like for, for the technician? Um, so... Training is a week long um, as a franchisee, mm-hmm. but for the technician, it's just a two-day training. Laser cleaning isn't complicated. Common sense is complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so, you right. know, it's like we, we, we want to teach them, you know, don't go out and laser clean, you know, pools of gasoline. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not, nobody wants to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's teaching them what OSHA requires, what ANSI standards are, and then going through that laser safety certification so that they can go out, operate safely, and, you know, keep the public safe as well. Cool. Greg, you did something else that was really, really smart as a new franchisor. And that is when we start out making sure that the franchisees are working on knowing their numbers and their profitability, knowing what their expenses are, is so key. And often these guys are first-time franchisees or first-time business owners, and they're not managing their, their money so well. And you, from the very beginning now, or more recently, have outsourced, right, a bookkeeping service. Yeah, so we actually have a couple things that we've implemented. So, yeah, the bookkeeping service, um, great company, supporting strategies. They, I feel like they're family. Mm-hmm. Um, they took a real interest in our business, and so they do all of our bookkeeping. And so then we worked with them and said, hey, why couldn't we have you 
support our franchisees because I remember in every business I had before this, the part that I hated the most Mm -hmm. was the bookkeeping and the paperwork. And that's what you spent your nights and weekends doing. And you're not making money doing that. No, you're not making any money. And, and it takes away from time from your family. Right. And usually you, you mess it up. Right. You know, and then your accountant at the end of the year is like, well, this isn't right. And that's not right. And then you need a PL and balance sheet for a loan or something and mm-hmm. to expand. And you never can get that information that ends up costing you more money to try to have somebody expedite it. Right. So being able to, to utilize that as an option for our franchisees to opt into. I mean, that service will not only do all of their bookkeeping, they can expand it out to do their payroll, their their payment collection from their customers. Mm-hmm. And then everything at the end of the year is just a packet that they get you know, for their, for their accountant. Yeah, no, it, it is smart that it's the one part of our, our business that we can outsource to somebody that almost knows nothing about the business, right? Yeah. The technical part of the business. Yep. So yeah, why not do so. that? Yeah. And yeah. So it's been great. And then we do that with marketing and, and stuff as well. So we have an outsource company that we use. It's absolutely fantastic. So going back to, if I'm a franchise owner and I need to, of course, I'm going to hire a technician. What is my primary role than as a franchise owner, if I'm not going to be the guy doing the work. Sure. So um, it's running the day-to-day operations of that business. So it's going to be networking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, for example, uh, we would encourage a franchisee to get involved in the community. Laser cleaning is such a visual thing. Once people see it, they want to share it. I mean, we went from like 400 followers on Instagram to like 6,000 overnight because people are just like following and sharing and, and then people want to see more and more. So as a business owner, as the franchisee, as your technicians are out doing it, part of our software, they can actually record uh, the before when mm-hmm. they go out to quote the job. And then the franchisee's technician can record the cleaning while it's happening oh, wow. and save it actually into the quoting software. So now we have a before and after. And then as mm-hmm. corporate, we now have access to that. And so we can pull those files down and create real posts from all over the country you know, as we expand and, and then that gives those franchise owners the ability to use that marketing material to go out and, and get those jobs. So you're, you're, you'd be out getting jobs, quoting jobs, making mm-hmm. contacts in the community, just building your business instead of focusing on, you know, the mundane process of actually doing, actually the, doing the, yeah, the work, the laser work. What about, um, on the marketing side of things, do you guys help support franchisees on in getting clients? Yeah, we do. So we, we do that in a couple ways. One, we have a, a call service that I've used for years for my other businesses. They personalize it to you. You have specific people that answer the phones, uh, money, penny. Okay. Um, and so what's nice is we have all of our franchisees as they get onboarded, mm-hmm. they get entered into that system. And so if any call comes in for laser cleaning, like as a service, our call center says, okay, well, where are you located? And then they, they funnel that call out to that franchisee. So that's one way. Mm-hmm. And then we also do a lot of national marketing. Um, we just got back from SEMA uh, a couple weeks ago. Fantastic show. It's the automotive industry. Tons of leads there. Mm-hmm. All these automotive restoration shops, a lot of manufacturing facilities, and that's a big point because you, you think about laser cleaning as just being like um, a technician out there cleaning. Right. But inside these territories, there's a lot of manufacturing, food manufacturing. Um, there's, you know, fabrication shops where we can put a laser with a robot in there in that franchisee's territory. And it's just in time laser cleaning. And they can actually run a robot for a fraction of the cost of adding another technician to do that project. Uh, okay. 
Let's segue to the robot thing then. Where did this whole thing come up with the robot? Where did you, how did you source a robot and be able to get a program to do this work? Yeah, so I don't know anything about robots or didn't. I know very little now, but um, what I did know is that people are inconsistent sometimes. You know, you'll you'll have people, they get sick mm-hmm. or they bring their problems to work and, and maybe they're on their phone. And, you know, that's a big issue today. You look around, everybody's on their phone. Right. And a robot doesn't care. It just does whatever you tell it to do. So, you know, in researching robots, I I came across a company called UR, Universal Robots. We ended up forming a partnership. And and what's really nice about that partnership is they've made special concessions for our franchisees with 0% financing, extended warranty, all as a, that's way outside of their normal offering, even to their, you know, to their other markets. But it gives us the ability to have a franchisee add a robot for a very low cost and then the next step was like well robot programming seems super complicated yes and so with the ur system we started building our laser machines Mm -hmm. to integrate directly with their robotic uh, software so it's just a two-wire connection from our machine to theirs wow and so and that's it there's no nothing extra to buy and so then now you could, you literally could just learn it. You just, let's say this piece of paper or something, mm-hmm. and you wanted to learn four points. And then you say, okay, I want it to overlap every two inches. Okay. And the robot will literally instantly write the program. You just have to tell it where the four points are. And it's drag to teach. You just move it to point one, learn. Point two, learn. Now, once you have all the points, then you can change the direction that it's going mm-hmm. to cover that surface too. You can have it going left to right, top to bottom, at an angle. And so you can <laughs> literally program it very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then we're also working on some vision uh, applications where we'll have a camera that can see the part mm-hmm. and it'll know that it's contaminated. It'll know what a clean part looks like and it'll automatically deploy and be able to clean that surface. Wow. Okay. How big is this robot? So pretty small. The one that we're utilizing like 99% of the time weighs mm-hmm. about 70 pounds. Okay. Um, it would fit you know, on the corner of this table, it has a reach of about roughly six feet. Okay. So pretty good. Oh, we can reach pretty far. Yeah. And then we, we developed a a mobile base for it. Uh So it can roll into a van or a trailer. So imagine you have a room, like let's say this room we're in here, you had water damage, you have mold on the ceiling and the walls Mm -hmm. and you don't have to tear the drywall off. In this case, it's just surface mold. Mm -hmm. So we can roll a robot in here Mm -hmm. and hit play and it's cleaning the mold off the walls and the ceilings without a person being exposed to it. And it's doing it efficiently for, he, for less than you could hire a person for the And he's day. not complaining. Not complaining. <laughs> Does he nope. need a, no coffee break. And, and you know, in, in the, I'm learning in the restoration industry, it's like all these hazmat suits. Right. And because of the chemicals, like the bleach, and then, and then if that's sort of dripping off onto you. Yeah. And with, with the laser, there is no chemicals used. So you just, the, once the laser goes over the mold, it vaporizes it neutralized mm-hmm. and now you have you know a non-toxic environment so yeah i was on your website a little uh a little bit and i understand so you have the laser that's actually doing the work and then there's suction yep that's kind of going simultaneously right yeah correct so in whenever you're working in an enclosed space or you know i kind of think of that movie aaron brockovich mm-hmm. and the the poison that went into the ground and all the people that were affected by it so when it comes to safety that is our top priority laser safety officer training is part of that. And so the extraction is, is very, a very critical part of it. So being able to capture things we don't even know about yet. 
you know, we don't know what's coming off of the surface of a paint, what chemicals are in that paint. It would be impossible to test every surface. So instead of just guessing, what if we just attack it like it's going to be the worst thing ever? And so now we can capture all those fumes in a special filter, all the mask systems that we use. Mm -hmm. They have the, the filter system on the back. It's got spark arresters, HEPA filters, carbon filters, 99.8% certified clean air that the technician is breathing the entire time they're operating that system is wow. pretty incredible. A cleaner air than if than the air we're probably you, breathing in this room. Yeah, then you no walk offense. in the room. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, What's the investment range of the franchise? Yeah, so it, um, it ranges from 150,000 mm -hmm. to 250. Okay. And then from 150 it could go up to 180 depending on if you add additional equipment and then on, from the 250 it could go up to like around 280. And that depends on the van. Like if you get a Mercedes Sprinter all-wheel drive with the infotainment system, mm -hmm. extra heat and air conditioning on it, you know, okay. I mean, the sky's the limit right. there. Um, and about the robot, is the robot in on the higher end? So the robot, at that higher end with the lower cost van, it could be, yes. Okay. But the nice thing is, is with that 0% financing, right. that make, and that's for three years, so they okay. can add it into their, they can either roll it into their payment or they mm -hmm. can add it later. And that was the whole idea is be able to, like, as they grow, you know, here, add this robot and now it can do, you know, just-in-time cleaning. Is, has the robot been implemented yet into the franchise system so we just we literally just showcased the robot a week or two ago at okay. sema we do have some franchisees that are looking at it we have mm -hmm. one a new one coming on um, in louisiana mm -hmm. that uh, looks like he's going to be adding it right out of the gate which is pretty exciting you know because there's when you look at all of these opportunities you got there's military there's um these oil fields there's the oil stations offshore there's all these components that are just getting destroyed by rust mm-hmm and sandblasting usually isn't an option. So they can bring these into a small warehouse space and have a, a robot set up in there. And the franchisee can have these parts pre-programmed and just drop them in place and right. play. How big of a surface area is the laser actually cleaning at once? Like, I don't know, like how, how big of a, you know, how big is a job take? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, because a, the laser is very precise. So right. you can literally, like we did a demo for an aviation company and we we did we needed just an eighth inch circle clean to get corrosion, and boom we can dial it down you know in millimeters, or we can expand it up to a six inch pass and just you know rip off rust or mm -hmm. or mold or paint or whatever. So it and we can adjust pattern sizes. Um, so we can do a square, a circle, a rectangle. So a good example would be like if you had brick that had soot damage or graffiti removal that needs to be done on it. We can dial in the size of the brick. Mm -hmm. It'll red light the brick and clean just the brick that one at a time. Okay. So it's going to be very, very precise. And on the bigger job, like I would imagine there's, there's government or municipality mm -hmm. opportunities where Huge. you have an overpass and there yep. could be a lot of rust. And Yeah. So we have big machines and small machines. So okay. the, you know, we have machines that go from 200 watts all the way up to 2000 watts. Mm -hmm. And so the larger, you know, those machines get the more efficient and faster that they can clean. So we give them a range, like we'll, they'll usually start with a 200 and a 2000 or a 300 and a 2000. And then, you know, if they want to add additional equipment from there, but, you know, kind of going back to like my LED lighting days of, you know, product development, that's what we're working on also within this brand mm -hmm. is, is developing new technologies that nobody has seen before that just don't exist, but the demand is there, but the scale is not easy to achieve. But when you have a franchise network, and as that network grows, you can you're now able to produce a lot of equipment 
at a very economical price as opposed right. to one machine at a time, which is where a lot of the, the laser cleaning machine manufacturers are struggling right now because it costs them so much to make one machine and then they require the sale of that machine to stay in business with no residual you know, income. And then for somebody to spend $200,000 for a laser cleaning machine and a year later it's obsolete and you have no marketing, no business plan, no vehicle, no insurance, no nothing else figured out yet. Mm. That's why the franchise makes so much sense because it gives them all of that and then also gives them that expensive machine at, at an entry-level price. Because sure. we make our money, obviously, in franchising on royalty. Right, right. Why hasn't anybody else done this? So it, it's complex, right? So you have the manufacturing side of it. You know, what are your options? Go to China and, you know, buy a pre-made laser, no support. You know, it's going to be, the quality is going to be iffy unless you have like a solid manufacturing plan, which takes, I mean, it took me 15 years to build mm. that, that manufacturing plan, having people there, an office, you know, just being able to, to execute it that way. But then on top of that, you have all of the other pieces because the laser, honestly, it's kind of like carpet cleaning, right? You have a carpet cleaning machine, but if you don't have everything else to run the business, you don't really have a business. You just have a carpet cleaning machine. Right. And so putting all the pieces together, but then making the machine, which is the most expensive part of the entire package, affordable, that's what makes it work. But that's really, really hard to achieve unless you can do it at scale. And all the other companies that have, you know, which is only a handful that have started manufacturing laser cleaning machines have only taken the same approach of sell a really expensive machine. Mm. And franchising's hard. It is hard. You know, I, I made a false assumption that for some reason you weren't actually manufacturing, even though that's your background, you weren't manufacturing the actual laser machines. Yeah, we design everything from the ground up and manufacture them. Where? In, in North Carolina? Uh, no. So we, so we do the final assembly in North Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, but we source parts. We have parts manufactured from different areas, some in China, mm-hmm. uh, some in Europe, mm-hmm. bring all those parts together and then create this machine. We have our own software. Uh, to run everything, which is, that's a big part of it. So kind of think about like a laser cutting machine that cuts sheet metal on Mm -hmm. a table. If you're cutting 16 gauge aluminum versus quarter inch plate steel, Mm -hmm. it's entirely different. But even in that, trying to dial in those settings, we're talking at like billionth of a nanosecond Mm -hmm. of timing for, for pulse energy, for laser cleaning. To be able to get the frequency right, the speed right, um, your power right, your mm-hmm. pattern right, all of that stuff comes into play to be able to remove a coating. It's not, it's a lot of science behind it. Yeah. And so the software that runs that is very, very critical. You guys created the software. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And, and our software is pretty unique. So um, most machines that you see, in fact, all machines that you see in the market all have a screen on them. That's, that's how you run the machine. Mm-hmm. So obviously we did, we're doing the robotics thing. And so if you're up on like, let's say on a ladder on a, like a platform and your machines down below you and you're cleaning, you don't want to go down to make a slight adjustment. Right. So we made it wireless. Um, so you can control it either from your phone, from a tablet, from a little, we have like a little handhold controller, Mm -hmm. like all of those things make it very simple. Um, you can pre-save settings and you can now geolock the machines from anywhere. Like I can turn a machine off sitting mm-hmm. in this studio. Mm-hmm. If, if, if let's say you lease it and they're not paying the lease, mm-hmm. machine's off. Um, somebody steals the machine from a franchisee's van or trailer, 
guess what? I know where your machine is and it's a paperweight because we just turned it off. So, you know, you're like the Tesla of laser restoration. I, well, I don't know about that, but I mean, I, I love technology. Right. And I, I do want to leave a stamp in this industry as sure. having developed, you know, some pretty cool. Yeah. Cause it is a, a unique opportunity and I feel lucky being first to market. Right. And I want to not lose that traction. I don't want anybody to catch us. Well, no, and no wonder you're, you've got, you know, nearly 60 in development. I mean, your whole system, it's a closed loop. Yeah. Which is the brilliance of it. That came from good direction. Mm. You know, I mean, I knew what I wanted to develop. And it's, of course, it's, there's challenges, as you know, in franchising, you know, people come in and they're like, oh, I want all these territories. And, right. you know, and so you're trying to like teach them to grow one territory at a time, if you know, because they're new at it. Yeah. Um, without overwhelming themselves, because that could put them out of business. Of course, Greg, let's assume I'm a new franchisee. I don't have an automotive background or, or any particular background that is maybe applicable. What would be like the first three industries that you would say, Frank, these are the three, you don't, you don't know anybody, you don't know anything. Here's the, the layups. Yep. So um, when you think of, look at a territory, let's say we're in the state, we're in Tampa. Mm-hmm. So in Tampa, you know, you've got a lot of rust, you have a lot of mold mm-hmm. and you have a lot of industry. So industry can be, let me rewind that a little bit. Yeah. One of the things I always tell the franchisees is because there are so many niches mm-hmm. to this business. Don't look at it that way. Look at what is the problem and, and you already have the solution. So is rust the problem? Rust in a, in a kitchen, in a automotive restoration shop, at a fab shop or in a train yard is rust. Mm-hmm. The approach, the sales approach is the same. You're coming in taking care of a rust problem with a laser. So you don't have to comp- overcomplicate it. I don't know everything about trains. I don't know everything about the kitchen industry. You know what? Chat GPT is going to help you out there. Right. And that's a, a big part of what we teach our franchisees is how to utilize technology to write the sales pitch for them, mm-hmm. to find the pain points in these businesses and and give them the talking points when they go in. So they, they are essentially as close to an expert as they're going to be in that moment. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're, you're really doing business coaching, right? Yeah. yeah. You're teaching people how to sell because sales is the biggest part of it. Yeah. If you can sell, once you show somebody, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times and I never gets old mm-hmm. when somebody sees it, they're oh. like that part, it seals the deal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just getting your foot. So I'll tell you one of the sales uh, techniques that we use and it's fun because we do it in class and it's like a role playing mm-hmm. and the franchisees Great. always get like really nervous. Oh, beforehand. Nobody yep. wants to do the role play. Correct. Until correct. you start doing it. Yep. And then yeah. once you get into it and then when you, we travel with every franchisee in their territory. Smart. So we do sales traveling with them. Okay. And then we show them what we demonstrated in class in the real world. Okay. And so there was this one instance. So we, we always say, if I walked into you, so let's say you have a restoration shop. And I walk in and you have this look on your face that says, get out. Oh, <laughs> yes, I know that. I look. know. And I've perfected yes. that face myself in right. the kitchen and bathroom. I was like, right. so many salespeople get oh. out. I'll say, go tell me how you would approach it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they will usually stumble around a little bit, mostly because they're nervous. But, you know, ultimately your the approach is they were not expecting you. So number one, acknowledge that. Right. Say, listen, I know you weren't here. You know, you weren't expecting me to come in. And honestly, I would not have come in today unless I absolutely had something that was going to change your business. Mm. Can I just take 10 seconds to show you this video? Always show a video. Don't sit there and blab on with a piece of paper or a flyer. Pull up a video. It's a visual business. And so they're like, okay, that's great. 
And so we go into this, this restoration shop and this guy, he was like, he had the look of death on his face. Right. Like he did not want us there. <laughs> and so I'm like, look, I know you weren't expecting us, you know, mm-hmm. and I want to be cognizant of your time. Can I just show you this 10 second video? Mm-hmm. And he's like, all right. So he looks at it and he goes, let me introduce you to the guys in the back. Like his whole persona changed. Really? And the three of us go to the back and uh-huh. they're pulling stuff out left and right. Do this, do yeah, that. Do that yeah. And the guy's like, oh, I've seen this on TikTok <laughs> and on Instagram. And it was like, just acknowledge. And then if they say, yeah, I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. Say, you know what? I'll just take your card. I'll email you the video. And, oh, and just so exit. smart. Right. As opposed to you saying, I'm just going to follow up and yep. try to find the right person. Correct. Sending them a video. Yes. If they open it, great. If they don't open it, I mean, whatever, it's yep. lost. But And and then you're, the other thing is you don't have to sell them the very first day you're there. Sure. It's kind of like anything. Maybe that day they didn't have a pain point where they needed you. But you have to remember at a certain point in their business you know, journey, they're going to have a job where you're going to fit in at the right time. So you just have to you know, carefully just follow up. Don't bombard them every week, you know, with emails and stop-ins and everything. Just take it easy. There's a lot of opportunities here. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, if they do that, you'll get a call a month later. Be like, hey, yeah, I finally got a chance to, you know, and I've got this car that we can't seem to get, you know. Right. You know, the rust isn't coming off of it or whatever. And then now all of a sudden, the laser to the rescue. Sure. You're teaching the franchisees to overcome rejection, which is yes. going to happen anytime we walk into a, a business, you know, Correct. soliciting. Uh, there was a, there's an entrepreneur who I look up to. He, he, you know, he's been super successful and we look at him as a, you know, he's just a risk taker, but his, his mantra was anytime he walked into a business and the answer was no, he would leave. And in his mind, he heard not today. Remember, uh, I think it was, uh, Dumb and Dumber. Uh huh. And he's like, he's, <laughs> so, so you think there should tell me there's a chance? chance. That's exactly how I hear it too. You know, I'm just like, you're absolutely right. right. But those are the things that it takes to really be successful in any business. Yep. Well, and and you can't teach motivation, right? But if you can give, if you can teach them to find the method of success for them that mm-hmm. works for them, then the motivation will start to come because they'll be like, once they get over that hurdle of the first rejection and they get that job. Mm-hmm. Now they're like, I can do this. And, and then it just, it spurs like a fire in them and they become right. successful. You're really teaching first of all, hope. Yes. Yeah. Right. And then you're teaching the skill set of what you need. Yep. What do you think is your greatest le- leadership strength though? That's a tough one. I'm not one to pat myself on the back for any one thing. That's you know, I right. like, I think the people around you, you know, are, are what really what kind of, you know, helps you get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm pretty good at sales. You know, Mm -hmm. if if I had to say one strength is like not, not getting discouraged, you Mm -hmm. know, when you grow up poor, you, your whole life is discouragement, you know, you wish that you had this or you could do that and your friends have this and you, you know, so you learn to just pick yourself up and shake it off and be Mm -hmm. unaffected. So I, you know, try to keep my franchisees positive. In fact, a good example of that was when we were at SEMA with NIC Industries, which is a brand of uh, ceramic coating, Cerakote it's called. Okay. And I really wanted to make a deal with them because I'm mm-hmm. like, my franchisees could be national installers for this product and the laser cleaning gets the part prepped without all the, the headaches they have to normally go through, mm-hmm. which is like sandblasting, degreasing, outgassing, and all these things. And sure enough, you know, we they start talking to us about their facility needing some laser cleaning, like some issues that they are having. 
And then that just leads into this conversation. Well, then we had a bunch of our franchisees and potential franchisees come to the show and they were able to be introduced to them. And there's this now this new partnership we're forming with NIC Industries to be able to apply Cerakote. And you could just see like this, their eyes, they're like, oh my gosh, this is another revenue stream for me. Mm. I'm already doing all the hard work and now I can make an extra 500 bucks for 30 minutes, mm-hmm. you know? It, it was, it's just really impressive to see them, you know, like becoming entrepreneurs themselves. Sure. And it makes you feel good. Like I, th- I think I'm onto something here. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Because I mean, I'll say the biggest challenge in laser cleaning is mm-hmm. simple. Nobody knows what it is. You know, not everybody knows they're, they're so used to the, the, the traditional methods of cleaning, chemical, manual labor, scrubbing, grinding, you know, those things have been around forever. And now when you look at the medical industry, I mean, we're doing eye surgery, skin treatments, hair treatments, tattoo removal. We're doing all of these things with lasers. And now we're, we have the opportunity to use it to clean. It's pretty dramatic. So one of the things like we were talking about the other day, I didn't ever think of this when I got into this business. Think about just in the, like we were talking about the kitchen cleaning mm-hmm. and a franchisee, what I tell them, I say, when you go in there and you clean one of these kitchens, you're literally eliminating 30, 40 gallons of chemicals, all the plastic bottles, the transportation, the rags, the disposal of those rags, all that waste. You're, you're eliminating industries. That's a little scary, you know? Sure. But you're having a positive impact on the environment, you know? So that in and of itself for a lot of these people is a big motivator because they're like, every time they step foot on site, they, they really are making a difference, which is, is hard to say. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times you're like, you want to make a difference, but it's very minimal. You know, if we can get into every restaurant in America, I mean, you're talking about billions of gallons of water, chemicals, plastic, all this stuff just disappears. Right. Vaporizes. <laughs> I, would re- I would probably imagine, though, there's probably some clients when you go in there, they get scared. They hear a laser and they get scared. Oh, sure. Yep. Um, so They think of welding equipment. Yeah, they think of fire. They <laughs> right. think of like the laser pointers with the warnings don't get it on your eyes and all of those things honestly apply sure you know you don't want to laser clean a gas can full of gasoline (laughs) you know that's a no um but you also wouldn't want to sandblast it either because then you punch a hole through it now gasoline sprays everywhere right um so you just have to teach and educate that's the biggest thing that was the same thing with lighting though people Mm -hmm. were so used to incandescent and then when LEDs came out, and they're like, it's so blue. Right. You know, so if, cold. But if we started with LEDs and went to incandescent, they'd be like, it's so yellow. Right. You know, <laughs> it's just like a learned, <laughs> right. you know, habit that people have. Right. No, that, that, is, that is true. What, uh, Greg, what's the, the, your vision for the company? So world domination. That's world what, domination. <laughs> that's what one of my sales guys always <laughs> uses that. He's like world domination. Um, my goal is to, number one, bring awareness mm-hmm. Uh so that my franchisees find, you know, that level of success that we want them to have. There is a, a global opportunity with it. We do have a lot of countries reaching out to us, you know, but our bandwidth is only so big. Yeah. Um, uh, look, you've already registered in all 50 states. Yeah. That's, that's, that's bold in itself. Yeah. And we weren't even in, like anticipating doing that. We were just doing like one here and then one there. And then it's like right. all these leads from all over just pouring in every day, uh-huh. hundreds and hundreds of them. And we're like, you know what? Let's just pull the trigger and just do all of them at one time. It saves me time, honestly. Right. You know, the attorney can execute all of them. And and then I don't have to sit there one by one, you know, getting each one. Right. You know, but notarized. No, not every franchisor has that kind of 
capital True. that they can register in all 50 states. And it's not necessarily recommended that we just go with a shotgun approach. I also went with the shotgun approach because it was right. I wanted to be first to market. So mm-hmm. speed to market was really, really important in my model. I knew I was always looking over my shoulder like somebody else is going to do this. Yeah, it's the same for me. Same for you. Yeah. And so I think, you know, when we're, we're talking to, if you and I were talking to emerging founders, we would say, you know, what is, you know, what is your objective? What are you trying to do? Well, and I think too, kind of speaking to that is if you have something that's new mm-hmm. and you want to be first to market, you almost don't have a choice but to, to bum rush it. Because if you take your time, right, then somebody else sees what you're doing and they do have deep pockets, mm-hmm. they can literally just skyrocket right past you. And you'll just watch them go by, and there's nothing you can do about it. I agree with you 100%. And the other thing that both of our businesses have in common, despite the fact that it's laser and sports, is that when it came to training, we were bringing people into our office for training. It didn't really matter where where they are. Yeah. Because you know, in some other models where you're spending a lot of time traveling to the franchisee, it could become... Um, you know, a, it could be a drain. It could be really a big Absolutely. burden on the franchisor. But having to, the speed to market in both of our models where we're first in an industry, it's like it's go time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we don't have, I mean, we don't have a brick and mortar right. model. I mean, we have we have a franchisee that has a brick and mortar that they that they have now. And that's mm-hmm. part of the plan eventually for them to have like a kind of like a, a warehouse space that they can have parts dropped off in. But because it's mobile, it's very easy to deploy. We're not site selecting, you know, for a building and permitting and all of that. We do all of our own upfitting mm-hmm. um, in-house. So we upfit the trailers, the vans, you know, we're in control of every single component. So we can, we can literally turn them out, you know, pretty quickly. Right. Which is important. What's been your biggest surprise since franchising? I don't know, a whole year now. Yeah, there's um, reg- state registrations is, um, is probably one of the biggest things because every state's different. You're like, there's some states you can't collect the franchise fee until after you basically have done everything. You sound like you're talking about California or Maryland or, or something like that. South Dakota. Oh, South Dakota. (laughs) See, South Dakota is the one that, that most people go to later. And lo and behold, you sold the franchise in South Dakota. Go figure. Yep. Sussex (laughs) Falls, uh, South Dakota. They launch uh, the week of November 29th. I would never guess you'd have six franchises and one of them be in South Dakota. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. That's I mean, great. South Dakota, Missouri, Florida, North mm-hmm. Carolina. We have, I mean, we have people in like that are going to be coming on board in Hawaii, which I would have never thought of. Nice. Uh, little that'll be challenging, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you can just drive there, right? Um. So, and then Canada, we just registered. You uh, did yesterday. We got all that paperwork submitted. Congratulations! So we'll have all of Canada in three weeks, um, Sweet. which is really good. So franchise, trademark, everything. So your biggest surprise has been the magnitude of work that goes in by getting registered in all the states. Because it's not just like registering. It's in like all the upkeep with it. Um, Like the annual, you know, filings, all the financials that have to be submitted. Sure, you're going to get audited every year. Audited, yep. Yep. So all of those things were, you know, and that's why I was like, let's just do them all at one time. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm going to be dealing with the headache of all of that, I'd rather deal with all the states in one shot. Mm-hmm. With the attorney, then, you know, doing them one here and one there, and then they're all spaced out, and it's all, right. you know, kind of. You know, Greg, what I, one of the things I love about franchising, I always said, is I do love the fact that the franchise disclosure document has everything in there. Our hands are above the table. Yep. And everything is out there. There's no, um, there's no question yeah. about, about anything. You can't hide. No, you can't hide. And auditing the financials, 
it being having that transparency is key because it's starting the relationship off with the franchisee right on the right foot. This is everything about our business. And it's yeah. it's our job as the franchisor, of course, to help facilitate and grow that relationship with the franchisee and knowing that they're going to have challenges. But the FDD, I think, though people will argue it's not a sales tool or it is a sales tool. I mean, there's you sure. know different different beliefs on that. At the end of the day, yeah, the FDD has to be written in a way where it's legally, um, it's templated, right? But we get to craft it in a way that really fits our culture and our model. Correct. And we want to make sure that that FDD as maybe just as black and white as it is, it does communicate what we're, our, our culture. Yeah, and it has to. I mean, so I think at Springboard, the second takeaway I took out of that was culture. Mm-hmm. And that starts with the FDD. Yeah. You know, when people read it, they're reading about you as the founder. They're reading about the the rules and regulations and the processes. And and sometimes that can be scary for them. Nobody wants to be like, feel like they're being locked or handcuffed sure. or whatever. And, in, and to a certain extent, it's important for them to understand and, and the FDD, if it's written and, and conveyed properly, it's to protect them, you know. That is the big message that we would share with potential franchisees. They would say, well, this is really skewed towards the franchisor. And it's like, it's absolutely to protect you because once you're in the system, I need to make sure I protect you and myself from the person that comes to the territory next to you, that's right? That's correct. It's to protect the brand. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, and like like software, right? So our software can read the zip codes, right. which is how our territories have zip code based. So mm-hmm. if, if a franchisee inadvertently crossed over a territory of another franchisee, we're going to be able to ping that immediately just by the zip code on the billing address for that job. Right. So now we can just say, hey, listen, you know, that job actually belonged to so-and-so. We can work it out. One of the other takeaways at Springboard was the the – Franchise Advisory Council. Yes. So we just implemented that. Good for you. Um, so I'm excited about it to build that culture. You know, because you have within franchising systems, and I'm sure it was the same with yours, you have people that come on as franchisees that are very experienced in business mm-hmm. and and are just good salespeople. Mm-hmm. And then you have you may have some other people that come on that are just less experienced. Absolutely. And so being able to share that back and forth and and what's working, what's not working. And, but for me, the takeaway I hope to get out of it is just like I did in lighting. I listened to all these kitchen designers. I didn't come up with 130 products to design on my own. Mm. People were like, I wish we had this. And I said, well, let me see if I can make that happen. And so that's what I'm hoping to be able to do with this group of people is let them talk amongst themselves. Let them tell me what they need, what would make their job easier. Right. So that we can create that, you know, to help them grow you know, grow their territory's value. Yeah, I, I am impressed that you're creating a franchise advisory council so early into your business. You, although, like we said, you, although you have six open, you're going to have nearly 16 development, you're going to be at 100 franchises before you know it. Yeah. And while we, we want to get feedback from every individual franchise owner, we have still have, we need that vehicle with yeah. the FAC to be able to collect the voice of the franchisees and to be able to understand uh, and if, whether it's tiered by revenue or geographically to get a kind of a centralized theme of what are, what are you guys hearing? Yep. What's going on? And having those constituents, the franchisees understand that you really are listening. Yeah. That, and that's, I think, is the biggest key. A lot of the people that we talk to that, you know, are, are interested in the franchise brand. Some of them had other brands that they were a part of. Mm-hmm. And they will openly say that once they were onboarded, the franchise or basically stopped listening to them. That's awful. And it's terrible. And 
it, that's why it's important through that through the FAC to be mm-hmm. able to say, hey, listen, we want you to be heard. Mm-hmm. Because what if you have a franchisee who's struggling, maybe with his motivation, maybe with his approach, and and he doesn't want to verbalize it because he's embarrassed. Yes. But through that advisory council and he sees the approach others are taking or maybe somebody in that room mm-hmm. catches on and sees that he's struggling and they step over and say, hey, listen, let me help you out here. And that like that's the culture we're trying to build. This isn't a competition. You all have protected territories. And the the more you help me and, and I help you, both of our values or our territory go up. Absolutely. In the system. Yeah, the peer-to-peer network strength is is critical yeah and at the end of the day it's going to be a us together versus the world correct because you're first but you you're you're not going to be last well and in unlike most franchises what i'm learning is with laser cleaning there's a whole bunch of opportunities out there right so like government sectors Mm -hmm. um you know like if you have a big project sometimes it's overwhelming for one franchisee to do some of these like Georgia Pacific, Berkshire Hathaways, Boeing, these projects get really big. Sure. So now you have a network of kind of like a a brotherhood or sisterhood to call on Mm -hmm. and say, Hey, listen, I've got this big job over here, but I need five lasers there to do it. And I only have one. Right. You don't want them to turn down these huge corporate or huge municipality projects. Yeah. So they can jump on with other franchisees who are nearby and go execute that project together. And so that makes a huge difference uh, to be able to, to do that, you know, where we're essentially it's like boots on the ground nationwide. And those those big accounts are everywhere we're seeing. It's it's kind of like we lost a, a project uh, for SpaceX, mm-hmm. big fuselage, like it was 15,000 square feet. It was just impossible for even like five guys to do it. It right. was so big. Right. You know, but it would have been great if I had, you know, 10 that could have jumped in there and knocked it out in the time frame that they needed it. Or a lot um, of stormtroopers. Yeah, or a lot of stormtroopers. That's right. <laughs> you know, but we'll get there, you yeah. know, and, and the technology is still in its infancy, really. I mean, mm-hmm. in the next five years where we're going to be, you know, based on what we're currently working on in those projections, I mean, laser cleaning will be, you know, very, 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 very fast. Right, right. Greg, tell me about this crowdsourcing opportunity for you guys. So, uh, specifically with Start Engine? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, of course, recognition is important, but, you know, building the brand, getting that, you know, name out there. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to go on Shark Tank years back with my lighting uh, that I did. Did you? Ended up selling the company like that same week. Um, that I had submitted and, and got everything to them. So, so you were not on the show because you sold no, before you got on sold, the show? Yeah. No Yeah, way. it was like on a Friday or Saturday. I, I had a call. By Sunday, I had an offer, and it just went really quick. And was exciting and, and challenging and everything mm-hmm. all at the same time. It was, all, <laughs> it was a big deal. <laughs> Exhilarating but, and yeah. scary and everything in between. Yeah, so we're, we just our reservation page just went live on, on Start Engine. Okay. Um, so it's an investment opportunity, uh, for, for people that, you know, may want to get involved with the company, but it get it gets us in front of a lot of these private equity firms and companies that have invested in sectors that our service helps them, mm-hmm. you know? So when you look at like, just every day we drive over bridges, right? Nobody ever thinks about how is that bridge maintained and cleaned? And I'm from New York and I've thought that many times driving over the, the bridges in New York yeah, city. <laughs> it's, it's a mess. So you've got the water conservation side of it. Yeah. There's a whole ESG play here with the tax credits where laser cleaning fits every single 
uh, criteria with mm-hmm. the ESG for reducing the e- ecological footprint, for increasing the social score within these facilities by the re- reduction of chemicals, slip and falls from the grease and oil on the floors from, from cleaning like that. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's all of these, you know, avenues that you, that you look at and, you know, and, and when you look at those opportunities and how big they are, it's, it's really a compelling, a compelling story for laser cleaning. So if somebody was interested in learning more about the investment opportunity, where do they go? So they would go to startengine.com. Okay. You can search advanced laser restoration. Uh, you can re- reserve a spot now. You get 10% extra shares. Cool. And then we'll be live in a few weeks, um, which is really exciting. And, you know, to be a part of that and, you know, get registered with the SEC is, is a big deal and, cool. and all that. So, Well, yeah. by the time this airs, it will be live. Yeah, it will be live by the time this airs, yeah. Nice. And if somebody was interested in the franchise opportunity, where would they go? So they can go to alrclean.com, click on franchise, and they'll give you the whole overview there. Um, they can also call. You know, we have our, our 844 laser cleaning number on there. So, All right. Well, you've only been in franchising a year, but you've got a tip here, I know, to give to an emerging founder that's getting started, wants to franchise their concept. I call it the tip jar. So what is your one tip that you would give to somebody who's looking to franchise? Don't waste time. So many people are on the fence. So this old guy that I knew years and years ago told me this quote, that, and I use it you know, in some of my trainings and stuff, but it's, it's actually very, very true. He said there's only three kinds of people. There's the kind of people that make it happen, the kind of people that watch it happen and the kind of people that wonder what just happened. You don't want to be the last guy. And if at all possible, not even the middle guy, just be the guy that makes it happen. You know, that's, so that's kind of what I live by. Greg, you've been a huge inspiration to so many people that I hope that are listening to this. You were never afraid to fail and you've made so many right decisions. I know that um, it's been a, a hell of a journey I am so excited to watch where this company goes. I, I think um, I, it's an honor for me to sit here with you because you're just the, at the, the beginning of franchising and I can't wait to stay in well, touch with you. I feel the exact same about like just being invited to be here, you know, to see your success. And, and the fact that you, you do this pro bono is really, really impressive. That's one of the things I hope to be able in the future pay oh, forward. Thanks, Greg. So that's a good inspiration for I, me as well. I am having the time of my life doing this. I'm I can tell. That's pretty fun. Oh, well, thank you. Greg, thanks for coming to Tampa. Thanks, for this time with me. It was a Appreciate pleasure. It. Yep. Thank you for tuning into the Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast. For additional insights, guest applications, and to stay connected, visit us at efbpodcast.com. The Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of Emerging Franchise Brands, its host Frank Fumi, or Emerging Franchise Group, LLC. Any discussed franchise or investment opportunity requires thorough investigation, obtaining proper disclosure documents, and expert consultation before making any investment decisions. The podcast and its host do not offer professional advice or endorsements, and they hold no responsibility for actions, representations, accuracy, or consequential damages related to the podcast content.